I'm Jill Shaw here with Ross Wilson to bring you an update on what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Last night, we attended the final meeting of 2020, which lasted just short of five hours. Hi, Ross. What did you think of last night's meeting? Good morning, Jill. Yeah, last night's meeting was interesting. You know, we got back to a presentation on the reopening of school, which we'll cover today. We also heard about the budget and the superintendent's goals. Much of the content, Jill, was identical to the content of the retreat from this past Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, the meeting on Saturday, which is a full day retreat meeting, uh, included an overview of the superintendent's strategic plan, an overview of data on remote learning, um, includes, including a release of data on attendance with an alarming 25% of our high school students not logging into classes. Yeah. Um, we also heard at the retreat about failing rates that are higher than normal, and there was an update on budget and enrollment that mirrors you know, tonight's presentation or last night's presentation, I should say. Um, and there's also was an external facilitator at the retreat to really help the committee think about governance and, and strategy. Um, the, dis the discussion with the facilitator was actually quite interesting and really pushed the committee to think about their role, uh, particularly in holding the district accountable for outputs rather than just hearing reports on inputs. So do you think that the facilitator from Saturday had an impact on school committee's behavior and questions last night? It seems that way. Um, you know, in last night's questions and, and discussion from members of the committee, especially Ms. Robinson, reflected this focus on outputs, you know, pushing for answers on what are the results here, not just on what the inputs are. Right. Well, the meeting started last night with a report on the retreat from Chair Oliver Davila. She expressed the need to have new commitments and a new focus for the school committee. Let's play a quote from Ms. Oliver Dalvila outlining these commitments. Coming out of the retreat, we have a few clear next steps, which include writing and adopting three to five specific priorities for the committee, creating a school committee biannual self-evaluation, creating the superintendent's school year 21-22 evaluation, redesigning school committee meetings to align with our adopted priorities, redesigning the use of our task forces and committees to match those adopted priorities, and investing 50% of school committee meeting time into monitoring progress toward the community's vision. The immediate next step in this direction will, will be for us to meet to begin to draft a timeline and then set another one to two day retreat to begin this work. And also part of this work will be to get out into the community and listen. So Jill, I thought this was just great. We heard from Chair Oliver Davila that the committee is, gonna, is really gonna focus on three to five specific priorities for themselves. Um, and that they're gonna hold themselves accountable through frequent self-evaluations of their work. That they're gonna focus on the superintendent's evaluation for the next school year and align to their work. Um, that they really wanna de redesign school committee meetings based on the priorities. And they wanna spend about 50% of school committee meetings monitoring progress on goals and getting out in the community to listen to what's going on um, and, and really be linked to the community input. Um, this, is, this is exciting. This is a renewed focus on outputs. And, and we saw this play out in the members' questions and comments uh, from last night. Yeah, and Ross, it seems like a big shift from several of the conversations that were being had over the past several committee meetings about um, limiting public comment and to being act. It seems to now be moving towards 
being action oriented, digging in proactively and um, bowing to spend time actually with the community. I agree. I agree. And so, so Jill, the, after uh, Chair Oliver Davila's report, we heard a report from the superintendent. Uh, the superintendent noted uh, that today uh, is a snow day. So it is snowing out as we're recording and that all students are remote today. And that in fact, the school day will end remotely about two and a half hours early. She also provided an overview of the dates for school registration and discussed the reopening of 28 schools uh, this past week for about 1,700 students with high needs. Now, interestingly, uh, right away, Ms. Robinson looked for more specific data and asked for the exact number of students going back to school. Uh, let's play the quote from Ms. Robinson. But I was wondering, of the 1,700 um, students that you were expecting to return that had been invited, how many actually did return? Yeah, I don't have that exact number uh, right at hand. It is somewhere around um, 600 to 700, I believe. Um, we, were, we were reconciling a couple of schools, um, but I do think that they will have that in the report. I do believe it is right around six to 700. Um, yeah. But I, there were a couple schools we were reconciling their attendance. Okay. With. And Ms. Robinson continued to push for clearer and more specific data. And then, then again, with that, once that's reconciled, will we know, you know, per school, how many students came and then really um, the number of kids, what was the maximum number of any one class that any teacher had sitting before her? And then the, and the last question really would be on the demographics. Who was invited and who actually showed up um, racial ethnically? So we'll definitely, we can definitely okay. break, we can break down that information for you. We are actually going okay. to be uh, launching our dashboards so you can see all that information by school um, and and have that available. But uh, we'll make sure that you uh, have that. So it sounds like less than half of the students who are invited back to school buildings were in schools this week. 28 buildings were opened, that's 28 out of 125 buildings. So then the meeting moved on to a back to school report where the superintendent's team provided updates on health services, these buildings, food, transportation, academics, et cetera. Yes, Jill, so for the first time in a long time, we, we, uh, we got to hear about windows again. Yes. Um, so we, we heard that there's incrementally about 5,000 windows that need to be, uh, still need to be repaired uh, in school buildings across um, our school system. And we heard an update on remote learning. Uh, let's play a quote from Chief Economic, Academic Officer Zayas. Expectations for remote learning were implemented starting in early May which included guidelines for structured learning. During this time, student daily attendance averaged around 83% and student average daily online activity averaged 51%. Experiences varied widely. And while student surveys indicated students felt supported by their schools, only 33% of those students indicated that they were excited to attend class remotely. Similarly, only 19% of teachers reported feeling confident that they could support their students in need of the most academic support. So just to level set, the data that we just heard is data gathered from the spring. Monica Hogan, who's the acting director of the Office of Research and Accountability, then tells us what is happening now. We look at the average attendance rate, which is currently 90%.
This is slightly lower than a typical year where attendance averages between 91 and 92%. Our average daily online activity rate is 86%, indicating on an average day, 86% of students used their BPS email to log into online learning tools. This number does not include any offline activities or online activities that are not connected to a BPS email. She moved on also to talk about course failure rate across our, our school system for this past quarter. First quarter grades give an indication of academic performance for grades six through 12. Consistent with nationwide trends, there has been an increase in course failures when comparing to quarter one grades from last year. Additionally, the percentage of students failing one or more classes has also increased with over one third of Black and Latinx students failing one or more classes. So Monica Hogan reported that 86% of students are logging in for learning each day through their BPS account. We also read an article uh, that was published after the retreat on Saturday. The Boston Globe reported that 25% of high school students are not logging in. Additionally, uh, we heard that course failures have increased with a quarter of Black and Latinx students are receiving at least one failing grade um, in one course this past semester. So school committee members had a number of questions about the presentation. One question that we wished had been asked are, how are we gonna help students who are not attending school um, and or who are failing and or we need to re-engage? So we didn't hear much, Jill, here about you know, the, the students not logging in. We didn't hear how we're gonna find them. We did hear that maybe they're logging in to a different account, not using a PPS account. Um, that's all well and good, but we would like to hear a little more specifically about who are these students? What are, what are our strategies for reaching out to them? And what are our strategies to prevent this increase in failure rate uh, of courses for students? Right, because re-engagement is really going to be key here. And, and of course we need, who knows if we even know how to reach a lot of these students. Um, Mr. DePina, who's the chief operating officer of Boston Public Schools also gave a report as part of the updates. That report included updates on air quality and safety, which are expressed concerns of some of the teachers and parents in the community. Ms. Robinson had this question about his report. We've committed, but again, in Mr. DePina's um, report, a lot of work has been identified, but it still feels that a lot of work is still in the queue that has not been accomplished. Parts have been ordered, waiting for deliveries, et cetera. So um, in the schools that are, are open today, have all, has all of the work been done that's supposed to be done in those schools 100% completed, or is the work at least completed in the parts of the school that are serving the current number of students, which is obviously quite small. And the superintendent responds to your question with this clarification. We do have air purifiers in those spaces. We do not have air purifiers in our 4,500 classrooms across the entire district right now but they mm -hmm. are in those that are opened and will be in those that will be opened prior to opening. This is right. why we have 28 schools that are open currently because it was safe to do so in these 28 schools. And Mr. DePina and his team are continuing to deliver those air purifiers and all the spaces school leaders have identified. We have mm -hmm. a schedule um, where we are working with an outside vendor 
over the break to do the air quality testing that we need mm -hmm. to do that is adequate and agreed to with the BTU and um, all of the other health and safety mm -hmm. protocols. Of course, all of the windows, as long as you have one operable window within a room that is enough with the air purifier, and then we will do the air testing. We also heard from Ms. Hogan that 14% of students had not received or had opted out of receiving laptops. Ms. Robinson asks this question. So it still says it's about 14% of the students that have either neither requested a computer from BPS or have opted out. Of, so what about that 14% that, you know, who hasn't said, I have my, you know, are they, what do we know about them, I guess, basically is the question. So Jill, it's important here to note that, that um, so 14% of students either did not opt out or did not receive a laptop through BPS, right? So we had we heard that there was about 10% of students who opted out of receiving a laptop. They had their own. Um, and 76% of students received a BPS um, Chromebook. The, the question here is what's going on with the other 14% of students who didn't respond, who didn't opt out, or who didn't get a Chromebook? And really, are these 14% of the students who didn't receive laptops or have laptops, are they the same 14% of students who are not logged in? Right. We, we got to wonder here, is there a crossover between these two groups? You know, the meeting then moved on to public comment where concerns about community involvement, transparency, and the way decisions are made in the district were all primary topics. Uh, this testimony sums up what we heard in public comment last night. Safe learning environments are non-negotiable. It's the district's moral, ethical, and legal obligation. But we are not all in this together if the district fails to include parents and students at the decision-making table, not as a check mark, but to make coll collective, fair, equitable, transparent decisions, not abrupt last minute reopening announcements. We then moved on to a unanimous vote to close the Edwards Middle School and the McCormick Middle School. The McCormick and Boston Community Leadership Academy High School will merge to make a new seven to 12 high school in the McCormick building. And Charlestown High School and East Boston High School will now become seven to 12 high schools. Next, a budget update was then provided by the Chief Financial Officer, Nate Cooter. Um, and Jill, if you would allow me, I'd just like to give a quick summary of the presentation uh, from the budget last night. That'd be good. Um, so this, this begins the budget process for the Boston Public Schools for the upcoming school year. And that will be fiscal year uh, 21-22, so fiscal year 22. So far, what we heard last night is that we have a 30 years straight of a balanced budget. In fact, BPS last year closed their budget with just $1,000 left in an account, um, which, is, which is quite remarkable. So 30 years of a balanced budget is a really healthy way of, of managing a school system. So you got to commend the, the Boston Public Schools for doing that great work. This year, we heard that they're on track for a balanced budget despite a $6 million deficit, current deficit. The district is actually saving money on transportation, facility utilities, and physical supplies. There was also a number of investments made in increased staffing from school nurses and custodians and social workers, despite being fully remote. Um, the FY22 outlook, which is the, again, the year beginning, the school year beginning July 1st, 21, running through the end of the year in 22, basically is looking at a budget that is um, 
we, we actually didn't hear a number, Jill, which is quite sort of unusual in this, but we did hear that there is probably kind of going to be steady state. So despite an, a continued declining a number of students. So we heard that this past school year or from October, 2019 to October, 2020, there was a 4.3% decrease in the amount of students. That's a little over 2000 students. This is the third consecutive year of significant declines in enrollment. And in fact, over the past three years, we've lost almost 5,000 students or 8.5% of student enrollment. And we heard that Black and Latinx enrollment decreased more than any other uh, population in our district. Uh, we're also seeing that the K-2 cohort continues to decrease. Um, and this is going to have long-term impact, Jill. It's not just this year or the past three years, but we're seeing the entry grade decrease um, over and over again, which is just going to continue to see enrollment declines. So, you know, th there's, there's a real question about budget going forward. Again, we didn't hear exact numbers. Um, we, we did hear that uh, the budget office and the school department were going to protect school communities from the impact of enrollment decline. So to me, that means that the district is going to what we call safe land schools. So even though there's less students, they'll receive the same amount of budget to continue to remain open and serve students. The district also said they're going to continue to provide added supports in the following areas, academics, health and wellness, and family community engagement. They're gonna provide additional funding to schools for recovery. They're gonna make operational improvements to the way the district serves students. And they're really gonna to try to give um, more resources to students who have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. So Jill, if you ask me overall, what the budget presentation said is that we are going to spend if not the same amount of money, but more money next year. So, you know, while we hear about decreasing budgets in other areas of our state and around our country, and in fact, you know, Worcester Public Schools just cut their budget this year, it does not seem to be the case in Boston Public Schools. Um, they do not seem to be worried about the upcoming fiscal year, which we thought there would be uh, drastic cuts this year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, overall, Jill, we'll have to get into the numbers. You know, in January, hopefully we'll see the overall budget and, um, and more numbers for each school. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, right? Because the budget usually is a number per student and you roll that up and that's the annual budget for the school system. In this case, it sounds like that won't be the math particularly because the student population is declining, but um, it sounds like the number will still stay the same. So Ms. Robinson, after this presentation asked what we think is the question of the evening. Here she is. So, you know, as we're moving towards these, you know, four school kind of makeups, pre-K to eight, um, nine to 12, pre-K to six, seven to 12. So we have four different schools. When are we going to be willing, bold enough to talk about, you know, what size of school or campus makes the most sense in terms of being overall affordable and off and able to offer students all of the things they need. You know, so, I mean, and this is like, if we could start from scratch, what should Boston look like? How many nine to 12 high schools versus seven to 12 versus UK? And how many students does it, does it become affordable? Is it a two strand school or three strand school? I don't know, but because we, we, we don't really have anything to look at to say, well, maybe if we took two smaller schools and combined them into one, there's some savings around administration or what? I don't know. 
I mean, we've got the buildings we have, we have this continuing issue of shifting enrollments and a bunch of buildings that need refurbishing, rebuilding or whatever. So how do we get to what's the ideal versus why do we keep patching what we have that we know only causes pain year after year after year? You're asking um, the $20,000 question and that is where do you start? Right. But, you know, but, but the issue is, you know, we, we keep talking about, you know, we've had this year and what have we learned and, you know, and, and what do we, what do we want to go back to, but where do we want to start, you know, putting children first? Do we have the, you know, we, we can't open buildings now because we have hundred year old buildings that the windows don't work, et cetera. These are not child friendly or supportive buildings. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of adults that are invested in these buildings, but the children who have to go in them every day are not necessarily being served well by them. When are we going to be willing to take this on? So this is the key question, right? With enrollment dropping and school committees desire to provide every child with the stellar education, does the city continue to burden the budget with buildings or do we shrink the number of school buildings and have better buildings and more resources per building in every building full of students? So Jill, you know this is this is uh, exactly right. You know we're we're not sure what's going to happen here. Well, what what we did, you know, Miss Robinson sort of pushing on, you know, are we going to make hard decisions here? We we've seen three years of declining enrollment. Are we going to be able to react to that and give? every student what they deserve rather than spreading out resources across many buildings uh, in our school system. These are, these are really hard decisions. And, um, you know, I hope- and, and just visualize this, right? Like it's hard to visualize, but you were talking about huge old brick buildings that are in some cases, you know, really kind of falling apart. And, and what she's suggesting is maybe we get rid of some of them. Let's, you know, cause some of these schools are half full, right? So not only that, but then it's like, it's kind of, dismal to be there because it's they're not full of thriving you know heartbeats and so what she's suggesting is are we going to at some point consider shrinking the number of buildings we have and pulling the community back together and spending all of our resources on thriving communities as opposed to some that are you know just very unhealthy right now Right. Well, so, so I think there's, there's a lot more conversation, Jill, and, and some of the members last night were, were talking about the community's trust in the school system's ability to provide a better education for students and better facilities for students. And the, the members were basically saying other communities who have started to um, rethink how many buildings they have, they've done a significant push for new school buildings and showing how they can provide better programs to families. Right. So thereby families said, okay, we wanna actually enroll in those new buildings and those new facilities, um, rather than the deficit conversation of let's close these schools and merge right. kids, right? And right. nobody likes to be involved in those conversations. We've gotta show a new way, a new hope um, to give all the kids in BPS a great education. Um, so, and this will be very interesting to follow as we go, Jill. And quite frankly, let's just be clear. The enroll, the, the continued decline in enrollment is not sustainable. Right. We, we, right. There may be an ability to sustain it for another year because the mayor has sort of given this hundred million dollar commitment for three years. And it seems to, it seems like that commitment is helping to sort of level off funding for all. Um, but once that commitment is done, um, there, this is not sustainable. 
Well, it's also not strategic, right? I mean, like another way to look at it is how do we use this hundred million dollars to fuel a strategy that actually changes the game for students and meets the expectations that school committee members have for a highly performing institution. Right. Well, Jill, we got, you know, I got to commend Ms. Robinson and other members last night on asking the hard questions um, on really pushing the yeah. district to outputs. Um, and, and this seems, it, it seems this retreat uh, that happened on Saturday um, seems to have given um, a real focus for the committee members to be asking these questions, which, which was, which was great. And, and, and honestly, Jill, this continued right on through the superintendent's goals. Mm -hmm. um, so last night, the superintendent and Dean Coleman introduced uh, superintendent goals and it was impressive, Jill. These were impressive. These goals were uh, specific and measurable. Um, Very and well they outlined not only, right, right. I mean, there was yeah. goals, there were strategies, there was baseline data, and then there was a goal, there was sort of a, a number that was set for achieving these goals. Do you think they're all achievable? What, how do you, because I mean, basically these are goals from now until end of June. Right. So that's, that's a question. I mean, we're, you know, we're almost halfway through the year, halfway through the school year and the goals have um, been put forward. They won't be voted on actually, I think until the next school committee meeting, which is uh, January. potentially January 16th around yeah. there. Um, it's going to be difficult. Um, I mean, there's a couple of goals here that are, you know, given the remote nature of learning this year, they're going to be very hard uh, to achieve, including moving the number of percentage of students with disabilities in uh from substantially separate programs to more inclusive programs. It's difficult to do that this school year, given the remote nature of, of the work. Um, there's also you know, some very clear goals uh, are, that are related to remote learning, um, including you know, increasing the, the percentage of students in remote learning who are engaged um, in the spring from 51% of students who are engaged to essentially 85% of students engaged by the end of this year in remote learning and moving from 83% attendance in remote learning to 92% attendance in remote learning. Um, it's, it's just great to hear very clear goals um, for remote learning. Um, so uh, yeah. these are, again, very specific, very measurable. Um, there's a question of it, will, will we attain them um, by the end of the, or the superintendent attain them by the end of the school year? But um, you know, at, the, at the very least, there are things that we can you know, hold the superintendent accountable for. So and what happens if the superintendent meets the goals or doesn't meet expectations? Well, interesting, like the, the committee put together a bit of a rubric um, that they'll vote again at the next meeting um, for basically saying, you know, if the superintendent meets or partially meets X percentage of goals, she would be satisfactory. If she doesn't meet X percentage of goals, she would be unsatisfactory. Um, so I, again, I got to commend the, the group who put this together and the committee put this together um, because they put a lie in the sand um, and they, they said very clearly what would be satisfactory, unsatisfactory for the superintendent. So yeah. something really to watch uh, in the new year. Yeah. And, it, you know, and also if we if she meets expectations, we will have found most of those kids that we have lost That's right, right now. And, so that would be and Jill, I, 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 I can't uh, I can't say enough. This is th this committee meeting was uh, it seemed like a move from inputs and reports to mm. a focus on outputs um, from the committee members. And it was great. It was great. Yeah. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students 
have a great day.